Hello everyone and welcome to the first ever show of the brand new Head to Head podcast. The show less about the answers and all about the arguments. Our guests will go head to head with each other over multiple rounds until finally one is declared victorious and wins the prestigious honour of being the debut winner. So without further ado, let's introduce our guests. First up, we have actor and ever controversial, it's Mr Alex Cosgriff. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Secondly, (laughs) taking time off from saving lives to appear on this show, it's Dr. Stephen Collins. Morning, everyone. Morning, morning. (laughs) Next up is our southern correspondent, all the way from Cornwall. It's the big man, Paul Harrison. No comparison. Hello, guys. (laughs) Hello, hello, mate. And lastly, the man who sounds from Scotland, but he's anything but, it's Keir Shields. <laughs> Hello from the Great White North. <laughs> <laughs> right, so this might all be a massive mess, but, uh, but let's get started on our first round. So the first round of the show pits one guest against another with a topic that I'll give them. To avoid absolute anarchy, each guest will have roughly 20-30 seconds to speak, and then a 20-30 to 30 second rebuttal. The other two guests will join me in scoring the round and declaring a winner. Now remember, the most important part is the argument. You could say that Stephen Sibwell is the greatest player to have graced the Premier League, and if you back it up well enough, you would win. Okay, that's the important thing here. All right, have we all we all got it? I mean, you can't start with yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't. <laughs> well, yeah. That's always going to win. So, right, um, without further ado, it's Dr. Stephen Collins against Paul Harrison over for this question. In light of Chelsea's poor form recently, what is the biggest waste of money there's been in sport? Paul, we're going to start with you. Wow. Um, Well, I mean, it's sort of a little bit off tangent of Chelsea's poor form, but I've gone big on this one. Um, If you're thinking of big sporting events, massive waste of money, the Olympics is always up there. And Athens 2004, what a waste of money that was. 10 billion euros, they reckon the cost was. But what's happened to Greece since? Country's gone into recession. Um, venues have been left abandoned. It's be, you know, it was picked as like a homecoming games for the traditional modern Olympics. But really, it shouldn't have been done there. The country has been left on its arse as a result of that. And basically, just, just, it's just a mess. It's just a huge mess and a huge waste of money. Oh, a lovely, lovely start. Good. Going good. in big. Straight, yeah, straight out of the blocks there. Right, <laughs> Stephen, what have you got up against that? I think the biggest waste of money in sporting history is the new Wembley Stadium. And the reason for this is, so it cost £800 million at the time. It replaced an iconic stadium in the Twin Towers where actually there were proper sporting memories like Euro 96, Psycho Screaming, Gaza lighting up that tournament. Lots of great moments and then replaced it with a big, empty, atmosphere-free bowl that is full of people who just sit in their director's boxes, don't get behind the team. You've got one bloke playing a trumpet, but nobody really cares. They're still trying to pay it back by getting all the semi-finals played there when it was far better when they were at Old Trafford and Villa Park and got some of the other fans involved. Anyway, don't like the stadium. Don't like the lack of atmosphere there. I feel it's a big waste of money, and they should have thought about it a bit more before they built it. Okay, okay. These are great opening statements here. Okay, Paul, what have you got to say in the bustle? 
How many toilets did the old Wembley Stadium have? Because <laughs> <laughs> I bet you it's nothing near what the new one's got. That new one is a great facility, right? Have you ever been? I've been once. Yeah. Yeah. I, to be think? fair, it was a, it, it was a friendly, so okay, it wasn't a great atmosphere. I, it felt a bit like a library. It was almost as bad as the one time I went to the Emirates to watch Arsenal play. But um, <laughs> yeah, to, to be fair, there wasn't much at stake. It was a pre-World Cup friendly. I think Glenn Johnson scored a goal. I remember that. But um, yeah, like it's it's an impressive facility, and I bet it can put on some amazing concerts and stuff. But for sport, it just feels empty, and it doesn't hold the atmosphere in. Yeah, I, I can kind of see what you mean, but th I'm thinking of the benefits that new modern facility has brought to the country. And you think of all the finals that England's been able to host, all of the internationals, things like that. It's brought sort of the home of football back to England. And, you know, for the cost of 800 million, I don't think that's too bad. Whereas, you know, in contrast, you look at the Olympics in Greece, that cost 10 billion at least. And what has it done in the long run? I don't really think it's done anything for that country. I don't know. I think if you ask somebody what's your main memory of the new Wembley Stadium, they would say Steve McLaren and his umbrella. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what was... Okay. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I can't see, Don't concede, Paul. Uh, Steve, <laughs> I'm not conceded. Stephen, what would you say about Athens, though? I've not had much said about... Uh... Yeah, like, the, the Olympic Games um, is always going to cost a lot of money. So they have to turn out these vast stadiums and facilities to put on great sporting moments. Yes, they're not normally very financially viable, but they bring about great memories that last a lifetime. I I'm trying to think what happens in 2004. Um, Kelly Holmes, was she running at that one? Is, did she? Yeah. She had one of her gold medals there. Um, like These are moments that will stay with a nation for generations. And yes, it costs a lot on the part of the Greeks. And yeah, they went into recession. But even while they're sitting there jobless, eating their, I don't know, Greek yogurt. They can at least think back to Kelly Holmes winning that gold and think, oh, wasn't that a great moment? They can think back to that. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm not so sure. I'm, I'm thinking back to Steve McLaren, Wally and the Brolly, and I'm thinking that was a great moment. Would that have happened at the, you know, that might have happened at the old Wembley Stadium, but that's iconic for me, and I'm remembering that. I think it was worth the 800 million. <laughs> okay, right, I'm going gonna, gonna to call up there. That was fantastic. Really enjoyed that, lads. Some really hard. I don't know where I'm sitting on this. Uh, Koskov Kier, where, where are you? What are you thinking? Hmm. Who do you think? In interesting. Uh, I, you know what? I think the points that have been made about uh, Wembley Stadium are very interesting. Um, but I have, ha I have had a lovely wee in that stadium. The toilets are great. <laughs> you know? Um, so it's difficult. Um, I'm not sure. I, I do agree with them. It, I think that it's a shame that we no longer use stadiums around the country. Uh, but I'm not sure I agree. that's because I agree. the new... I mean, I guess it is because they spent so much money on it. But, yeah, um, I detest the fact that the semi-finals are always at Wembley. I think it spoils the occasion of a final being at Wembley. And I think that's the whole point, is that Wembley is a, a magical moment for any team to get there at the end of a season. Um, it's also why I don't like the League Cup particularly, despite the fact that my team have, have now got to their fourth final in a row. <laughs> um, you know. um, so yeah, I, I, think, I think that Wembley, that surprised me that. But hard to argue 
with the fact that Greece is in tatters <laughs> post the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> and also that the only possible positive you can think of it was a non-Greek winning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that's... I do think, in fairness, as much as I said, you know, you've got to justify, you can justify Steve Sibwell, but the easier answer here definitely was Athens, because Athens yeah. is yeah. almost I nothing think... positive. All, all international sporting events I have like I have a real problem with this four year cycle of them moving around the world and it being sort of jammed into countries and being and, and essentially they're forced to build an entire new infrastructure system in the space of like a space of two years. But you see what's happening in Qatar, it's absolute chaos, people dying in construction. Brazil was awful. Remember how rough Brazil was before the World Cup? Like all these same situations and like yeah, the, the four year cycle of these events going to different places. It's just terrible. Like, if, if like, countries are told they could have it two times in a row, they could spend more time building it, the infrastructure would have a last, and I do understand. And, like, yeah, I, I, I fully agree that the Olympics are usually a terrible waste of money, but but you talk to a Spurs fan here, and I had to deal with the torture of 18 months of watching us play at Wembley. Um, and it was, it, it, it's a wasteland. It's a terrible... The only positive thing about Wembley is that occasionally, for some reason, Jesse Lingard turns into Messi when he goes there. But outside of that, <laughs> there is nothing positive about Wembley Stadium. It is awful. Like, as, as Cosgrove's saying, like, like we're, going, we're going to play City in a, in a couple of months' time. And obviously, I'm incredibly excited about first having a chance to win a trophy. But the fact that you have to lift it at Wembley kind of sours it for me. I absolutely hate that place. <laughs> Um, and I, you get nothing but contempt for it. So Wembley's the biggest waste of money. So you just get rid of it. All right, so Keir's got Wembley. Opinion. So um, Keir's got Wembley, Stephen. Alex, which way are you going? I think I'm going to vote with Paul that Athens is a is 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 a much more dangerous I, and I terrible think, thing to have happened. I think that as, as good as the arguments were about Wembley, um, I didn't really hear a negative said. Sorry, a positive said about um, about Athens. Um, and I, I think you. Yeah, there was maybe some scope to just say that, you know, the Olympics are one of the greatest times ever. Like, you know, uh, for Brazil and Rio and all that kind of stuff, I know there were the issues, but, but the way I look back at 2012 and the way that I'm sure lots of people around the world look back at their Olympics, I feel like maybe, maybe more could have been said about that. So I'm going to narrowly, narrowly it is, come down and say that I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with Paul too. So it's 2-1 Paul. So you get, you get your point from, uh, from, from Keir. And it's always played. There's plenty more. It's not that wasn't a route by any means. So, uh, <laughs> so right into the second questions. This is Alex and Keir. With the new year just now dawning, um, tell me what New Year's resolution you would bring to your favourite team. And just for the sake of the podcast, you need to just say what your team is. So, Keir, you can begin. Um, I've put Tottenham, um, and this is a tough choice choosing what the New Year's resolution was. I think the one I was going to go with was some sort of experimental um, treatment for Harry Kane to grow two extra ankle ligaments so that he doesn't get injured for the rest <laughs> of the season, but that's obviously um, impossible. But what I've decided to go for is I think the one that a lot of first fans feel, which is uh, New Year's resolution would be for Daniel Levy to finally take that last step and back a manager fully to go for trophies. Like There's been a lot of occasions over the last few years where Tottenham have got close, and for one reason or another, I think some valid reason, Pochettino didn't quite get back to the full hill. Um, the other time we were really close to maybe having a top team was that sort of year under Harry Redknapp, just when Luka Modric was firing and young Gareth Bale was starting to come through. We kind of found ourselves up near the top. 
but the rest of the team wasn't there yet. The infrastructure wasn't in place to sort of push for that next level. But like, now is the time. You've got the manager, we've got the situation, we've got the players, you've got the stadium. Obviously, the financial situation globally makes it difficult, but I don't think it has to be big money. It just has to be the right step. The, the mentality has to shift within the hierarchy that we've got to back the manager. So that would be my New Year's resolution for Spurs. Great. So, uh, over to you, Alex. Okay. Well, I am a Manchester City fan, uh, and I would like it known that I was a Manchester City fan before the money came in. And in fact, (laughs) I had a season ticket before the money came in. Uh, Thank you very much. My first real manager was Sven Goran Eriksson. So, um, haters are going to hate, but look, that man managed me. So, um, for me... uh, I feel like uh, what I would most like to see as a City fan is a, is a sort of reinstating of the old culture at the club that academy prospects would actually be given the opportunity to get into the first team and to stop losing all of our best players on free transfers or sort of for very small transfer fees six months before their contract expires. Because we've now got a position... Uh, where we seem to get these players at 18 years old, such as Jadon Sancho. We've now got it with Eric Garcia, um, potentially leaving for Barcelona. Um, And then even, I believe there's a a, a youth talent, um, Charlie McNeil, who plays for the academy, who's like a 600-goal, 17-year-old wonder, who was now signed for United. So there is clearly a problem when no one can get into the team and all of these world-class talents are leaving the club because they don't think they're going to get a chance in the team. Right, well, we'll start off, start off with you, Keir. Uh, what have you got to say about, about, about Alex's statement? So, yeah, I understand Alex's point about losing academy players being difficult to watch because, like, thankfully, it's not happened as much as Spurs recently and we've had the ones that are good have come through and played and, um, you know, people like recently, I mean, I don't know if Harry Winks is good. I've not decided that yet. But, you know, players come through and they get the chance and they stay in the team. But... Yeah, it's always no one wants to see prospects leave because you have these hopes of everything's built up. Like we we had Marcus Edwards for a long time that that Pochettino compared to Messi, and there was all this build up and hype about when he left. And Spurs fans were devastated. I mean, he seems to be doing quite well um, for like the seventh place team in the Portuguese league. But like <laughs> at, at the end of the day, I think the thing is for for every Jason Sancho, for every you know, Toshin Adarabio is the most recent one. For every player that ends up in a top league playing, there are thirty, forty, fifty, sixty that don't make it to it. They've had Jaden Sancho, they've had this big name player who's gone on and left and done big things. Like I don't think it's currently as big a problem as it's made out to be. Eric Garcia, I think, would be a big loss if he went. But I don't think you're sort of losing the future of your club yet. You still seem to have an amazing academy. You still have all these prospects coming through. I mean, and still folded, thankfully, seem to be getting played now. Um, so I understand it's a problem, but I don't think I don't think what's happening there is going to sort of his future. Whereas I think if if Spurs have another year or two years without winning the trophy, it's genuinely going to ruin our team. Like, Harry will go, Son will go, um, our centre-backs. I mean, Aldebaro, towards the end of his career, I'd imagine he would leave or retire. Lloris would go. Like, we're at this point where there's some core players in our team who are either right on the edge of going um, because of age or because they're ready to win trophies. And, and if the club doesn't keep up with them, then they will go. And there could be a real situation where we have like a, an exodus of top players in the next couple of years, and Spurs take a huge step back. Well, Alex, um, yeah, what would it, you what would you say in response, in response to that, or, or also about, about about Tottenham in general? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, with regards to just a quick rebuttal on, on the City point, um, I do think it is actually already quite a big problem because, I mean, I, I compiled a list before and so far, if we include the players that are, are almost definitely going to leave, like Eric Garcia, we've got Jadon Sancho, we've got Eric Garcia, Bra Brahim Diaz, Dennis Suarez, Charlie McNeil. Uh, we've now got Jadon Braff and Luke Mbete supposedly leaving as well, who are two really, really um, huge prospects. And, you know, in defence of, of this policy, we're making a huge amount of money. So supposedly we make about 50 million a year on the Academy, which is which is incredible business. But my concern is that um, the the soul of the club long term is at stake because we're now in a position where the old City fans, the typical City um, City fans who are in from that bygone era of us being a a, a yo-yo team, up and down, relegations, can never get any success. Um, they are you know getting older they won't be with us as long anymore and the new generation of city fans that's coming through are these kind of glory hunter fans and it all comes into this general problem at the club which is that the city don't know what they are anymore as a fan base are we this dominant side or are we the the typical city um love to mess i mean even the 2012 league uh, league win was typical city done in the very last minute and i i just kind of potentially miss uh, the days where you know we had a team that was filled with people like you know Sean Wright Phillips and 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 Neda Manure and Stephen Ireland and, and Micah Richards and all these players. Um, however, I do sympathise that perhaps uh, a tad ungrateful <laughs> to be complaining about all these things when uh, we are winning trophies. But a lot of the reason why we're winning trophies is because of as well as the huge financial backing we have, the organisation at the club um, and the infrastructure is is unbelievable. And I wonder actually if Spurs' problem is less that Daniel Levy's not investing or whether it's just that they don't have that money. They don't have the investment. I mean, and to be fair, Daniel Levy, I mean, did invest this season. You know, that money has come in. I mean, how much did you spend this season, kid? Do you know off the top of your head? Couldn't tell you exactly, but it was somewhere in the region of like 130, 140 million, somewhere around about there. Right, okay. Um, so it's, which, it's a good investment. Which, it's good investment. It's quite a lot for us, but I think the thing that wasn't to push us to the to the next level. There's been occasions mm. in the past where, like even last summer, we spent what sixty million on Ndombele, fifty million on Lucelso, which is a, a huge outlay. That's our biggest outlay ever on two players, and happened in the same summer. So the investment's been done before, but I think the difference is that we invest, we get to a level which is second or third, and we're hanging around in the top four, we're being there, and Levy. For I think for valid reasons I don't I don't think he ever wanted to back Pochettino I think Pochettino's ideas were too the players he wanted were too grand like he you he got offered good players and he'd be like no I'm not I'm not I don't, I don't want anyone but Bruno Fernandez for eighty million that's all I want like he was very stuck in his ways about the players that he wanted and um, and I think Levy just gets to a point where second and third and he goes great Champions League money we're settled in possession I'm not going to go and outlay that again I'm just going to we're going to stay here and you know the stadium made that happen I, I don't I don't think the guy's a bad guy I, I think a lot there's some there's a group of Spurs fans who like think Daniel Levy's ruining the club because he doesn't invest like I don't think that's the case at all I think the reasons he's kept his power to dry in the past are fair and valid and um, I just think now is now is the time to go and I don't think it's about massively buying expensive players it's about breaking the model and getting an older player in um, it's obviously absolute nonsense paper rumours but Sergio Ramos has been talked about maybe if he's leaving um, Real Madrid in, in the next few months like he's the sort of player you, you if you're if you're ready to a next step you, you pay his wages you get him in the free it's not it's not so much about going out and spending 100 million on x y and z player it's just about the right player that maybe breaks the way that the club normally operates right, I think I'm going to wrap this up I think we're going to wrap this up I think the points have been made um, <laughs> so Paul Stephen what do you think yeah I mean I would I would say there's there's definitely strong points in both in both your arguments, but 
I think on the on the Tottenham front, I would argue that having Jose Mourinho as manager suggests that you're looking at trophies already because that's who he is. He is he wins trophies. That's what he's been recruited for. For City, I think you could argue that they the amount of money they poured into the academy facilities and the whole club infrastructure would suggest that actually in a few years time you're going to you know be monopolizing youth talents in you know in England almost and and you know you've got wide reaching clubs in you know you've got like Melbourne City in Australia and you've got New York City you've got that whole city group haven't you and it i feel like yes the youth prospects will come through some of them will leave because they don't get the opportunities it's a, but it just feels like you're gonna you're gonna have lots of youth players ready to be selected for the team. I would say I'm gonna side with Keir on this one because I think it's a realistic New Year's resolution for Spurs. If we're linking it back <laughs> to the question that they you know they just need Daniel Levy to give them that little boost to get there. I think with City, I, I think I think they could do it easily. But yeah, it's it's very touch and go. I'm very touch and go on it, but. Steve, where are you thinking? Yeah, Keir, you really should have got Bruno Fernandes. So I'm a Manchester United fan, and he is great. Um, <laughs> they need um, Bruno Penna. I think he's Penna. Sorry, just we could pronounce um, his name correctly. But yeah, d- despite the fact I'm a United fan, I genuinely think Spurs will win the league. I called it a couple of months ago, and I still think that's the case this year. I think everybody is performing so inconsistently, and I think. Son Kane, and if it ever works for him, Bale could be really, really dangerous um, to the other teams up there. So I think Spurs will have a good season. Yes, they probably do need a little backup for strength and depth. Um, I think the bigger problem is what Alex is touching on and the fact that uh, younger players aren't being given a chance. So Phil Foden, despite how talented he is, has had to fight for years and years and not get in regular football, playing the odd League Cup game to get through to the first team where he deserved to be a long time ago. And I think you're right. The fans want to have somebody, not necessarily local, but somebody they feel they can take a bit of ownership over and say, right, this is one of our own. It's not just a 50 million signing from a different country. And um, I back in the, in the nineties with the United squad, obviously there was the class of 92. He did extremely well and football is very different since then. So you don't get big rafts of players coming through anymore from academies, but it would be nice to see more of that. And I like the way Liverpool try and bring through academy talent and give them a chance. Um, so it is possible to be successful and bring through young talent. Um, so I think that's more of a problem and it's something City should maybe learn from the likes of Liverpool on and try and give those players a chance. So where, where who are you voting for? I'm voting for Alex. Vote for Alex. Okay, so it's 1-1 one, one each. I've got the deciding vote. Right. Um, oh, try not to, just going off the arguments alone, I completely do agree with uh, what Alex and actually what Stephen was touching on there as well. About um, as a Chelsea fan, I even though we've been doing worse recently, um, I love so many of the players in this team because they are they come from the academy. Um, so I really understand that, and I also I thought Alex made a good point, a really good point. I think one of the main points the whole thing, it, it Spurs have spent a lot of money. You know, Spurs have over the last couple of seasons spent a lot of money. If you're not spending it right, that's it's kind of your own fault. But if you look at Leicester, and if you look at some of these other teams around there. They're not spending huge amounts of money, um, or not not you know ridiculous amounts of money. And Chelsea have spent a lot of money, and it's not currently working out very well for us. So um, I think on the 
that point really stuck out to me. I think on the balance of that, I'm going to go with Alex. I'm surprised at what you said, Alex. I was 100% sure your New Year's resolution would be for your fullbacks to stop having COVID super spreader sex parties. That's a good point. I would, but I'm, I'm desperately hoping for an invite. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, Keir, you can make up for, for that loss immediately because you're going to face off against the Doctor. Um, not Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> what a coup! Oh my goodness! <laughs> Jody, come in. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, right with the news. Well, sorry, uh, you can tell this is already an outdated question. I wrote this question on Tuesday. It's already out of date. So, with the news coming out that Donald Trump potentially tried to rig a U.S. election, it's got more than that now. Um, tell me, what has been the largest scandal in sports? So, Steve, you can start us off. So the reason we all love sport is because it is pure. It is trying to pit one athlete against another to see who is the best. So in my mind, doping is the biggest scandal that has ever come into sport. And there are two big doping stories. One that I thought about going for was the Russian state-sponsored doping scandal, which resulted in lots of their athletes retrospectively losing medals from the 2012 and 2016 Olympics, which was absolutely right. And if you haven't seen the movie Icarus, you all should. Amazing exposure of everything that was going on behind the scenes there. But what I am going to go for is the Lance Armstrong doping scandal, because I think it captured the public's attention in a way that very few other drug-related scandals have. Um. Tour de France, for those who aren't big cycling fans, I think cycling is probably... More and more, I am realising it is the best sport in the world. And for a long time, I was led to believe that Lance Armstrong was a really inspiring cancer survivor. And I think it's because I placed so much hope in him at the time. I was getting into the sport. I loved watching him. And I had the Livestrong bracelet on. I loved the fact that he had set up a cancer charity. I loved the fact that he'd come back miraculously from this widespread cancer and he was winning the hardest endurance event in the world seven years in a row. And you're just thinking, this guy's incredible. What an inspiration. And I think it's because I place so much hope and attention on him to have that all torn away from me a few years later was huge. And it's a massive scandal. And like the whole story continues to rumble on. There's a new documentary out this year. I think it's Lance's side of the story. So he's trying to paint himself as a really troubled soul. And yeah, he did some wrong things. But... What he did was he got the whole team around him and he bullied them into helping him with this really sophisticated program where he was giving himself blood transfusions before races. He was giving himself EPO or hormone to help him produce more red cells so he could perform at a higher level for longer. He was a cheat and he led lots of people to believe that he was a harshly treated cancer survivor for years. Yes, he overcame cancer. That's true. But he used that as a defense and a cover-up for his cheating for years and years and years and almost ruined the sport of cycling. Thankfully, it is on the mend and there are great new talents coming through who appear to be clean. But for a long time, I'd say for about 10 years, Lance Armstrong almost ruined the sport. So yeah, I think that's a biggest scandal. All right, Kia, up to you. So I find this one really tough to choose. Um, I think there's maybe two scandals that jump out that jumped out to me more as like, actually it's awful for the people involved. Um, at, the one I was thinking, the NFL concussion scandal. I'm a big American football fan and the sort of widespread systematic cover-up of concussions, fake medical advice and 
made up doctors' testimonies and, and silencing people and eventually the suicides of multiple players was a huge scandal. And I, I was thinking of going for that. And I was thinking of going for the Larry Nassar situation with the USA um, gymnastics, who systematically was a predator for decades um, for young female athletes. And, you know, there's some, there's some horrible scandals in sports. But then the one I decided to settle on is I think the scandal that most people don't know about, and I don't know how it's genuinely the most incredible story, is insane. Um, it's the 2000 um, Spanish men's um, intellectual disability basketball team at the Paralympics in 2000. Um, so intellectual disability back as it used to be categorised in the, in the Paralympics um, was anyone who was under the, uh, had an IQ under 75 and was able to take part um, in this event. Um, and for the 2000 Spanish team, um, basically, um, they pretended that their team were um, intellectually disabled, and they weren't. They were uh, they were fully it's fully mentally abled, um, no disabilities at all. Um, and I know you think basketball teams have 12 players. You know, maybe you could get away with one or two, um, one or two fully able players to play on the team and sort of, and, and, and maybe people wouldn't catch you. No, 10 out of the 12, 10 out of the 12 <laughs> players um, were just perfectly healthy, normal individuals um, who went in. Um, the reason behind it apparently was the guy who ran out, uh, whose name is Fernando Martin Vincente, who was the head of what then was called the Spanish Disability Sport Organization, decided that if they won a gold medal, they'd get loads of funding and sponsorship. And then from that point onwards, it, they could just have intellectually disabled basketball players, but they could cheat one time just to win the medal and get and then get all the sponsorship and carry on. Um, and so it's quite a long winded story, but I've got to tell you it because it's amazing. Um, <laughs> the, the, in order to play, basically, they, they have to do IQ tests to prove they're under 75. Um, IQ. Some of the players um, have come out afterwards and said that they just were never tested. Um, other players took the test, faked the results, and then other players just they got fake doctor's notes written up by the Spanish uh, Federation, just basically created fake documents to tell them in this. Um, in their first game, they were up by 30 points at halftime. So just for reference, for like people that watch basketball, the average NBA game total winning average um, difference is about 11 points. So they were up by 30 at halftime. Um, and apparently their coach told them to take it easy or they'd get found out. Um, so basically then they carried on the tournament. As you'd expect, they romped all the way to a gold medal. Um, but when they won, they got all their photos taken, um, and which got into the Spanish press. They were And all of the players that were that were pretending um, to be intellectually disabled were from Madrid. And it got published in Marca, which is um, the big paper there. And, and apparently, this, it's just back in 2000, the early days of online forums, apparently everyone in the comments was like, I work with Enrique in my office. He's perfectly able. Like, what's this all about? Blah, blah, blah. But it's still, the story still didn't break. The thing that's most amazing about the story, about, I, I can't remember how long it was later, a few weeks later, the story finally broke. When it turned out, one of the players in the team, Carlos Rivigorda, um, was an investigative journalist who'd been working for two years to infiltrate um, the Paralympic basketball <laughs> because he knew what was going on about it and, and being, being a, a big expose about what was happening. Um, and I just think like it's genuinely the most insane story ever. It's got everything. It's got undercover um, journalists breaking in. It's got lying, cheating, um, grifting. It's got everything you want. It's just the most insane scandal. I can't believe more people don't know about it. It's truly incredible. Right. That's well, the best Stephen, scandal in sports. you've got an uphill battle here, I am afraid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I didn't know Someone what I get was on the expecting. phone to Netflix. Yeah. Well, I didn't know what I was expecting when Keir sent me the message saying he was going to talk about the uh, Paralympian basketball team, but it certainly was not that. Uh, <laughs> um, well, oh God, I don't know how you defend it. Uh, <laughs> well, 
Yeah, go on, Stephen. Best shot. Go on. Tell us how that was okay. Yeah. You tell us how that was completely fine. Yeah, like it's it's hard to defend any scandal, really, isn't it? Like a yeah. full blown scandal. And um, I suppose there were two genuinely disabled people on that team who got to live out the moment of their dreams. And are you going to take that away from them, Kim? I don't think they played very much. I think they were pretty much bench warmers. Oh, <laughs> that was a very good rebuttal. I love that as a rebuttal. The attempt to make it justified. I think so. I, I'm gonna just give because I think this is so one-sided. Um, I think my my person is my big thing here would be one of them ruined the sport. He did drag the reputation of cycling through the mud. Um, I think maybe the only positives if you can take them out of the Lance Armstrong thing that maybe you can't take out of the, the apparently basketball scandal was that cycling's exposure was massively increased because of the Lance Armstrong thing which I, I think inevitably has gone on to benefit the sport now there'll be people who started the sport because of Lance Armstrong back in the, back in 2000 and yes he's everything that's come out about Lance and the fact that he's a, a genuine psychopath like I think that's that's it's easy to say that he's, he's genuine psychopath the way he, uh, allegedly, <laughs> uh, yeah, allegedly, the way he bullied people, the the sort of lawsuits to shut people down when he knew they were telling the truth. I mean, the, the way somebody treat, treated the people around him in his life is horrendous. But he massively created exposure in sport. He brought new blood into the sport, and also, despite it starting out of essentially to cover up what was going on, the work that Lev Strong did has been massively beneficial um, and for people in their lives. It's, it's a, it, I think it was a billion dollar charity at one point, it certainly was close to there. Um, and the, the work that they will have done is enormous. Whereas the whole means and ends of the Paralympic basketball scandal in um, Spain was to get funding for a program that I'm pretty sure got shut down pretty quickly afterwards um, because of what happened. So like all the means for, for doing the scandal never actually benefited anyone. Like Lance got some benefits out of it. Stephen, what would, you, what would you say about, maybe about, more about the Lance thing? Yeah, well, like, I, I just think it very nearly ruined cycling. And if it wasn't for a crowd of really inspiring, clean cyclists, well, hopefully clean, coming through, I think it would have stayed as a bit of a side story on the sporting news. I think, thankfully, we've now got some really amazing talents coming through, um, young talents who are really exciting to watch from the continent. Um, it, it's interesting with like the Chris Froome and Bradley Wiggins um, rise to fame that they're still being quizzed about potential doping allegations. And I think there might be some merit behind the Wiggins ones because he still hasn't really explained this little jiffy bag that was handed to him um, before he won the Tour de France. So, yeah, like that's rumbled on, but I think it's now been sifted out and doping um, control has become tighter. So I suppose what Kira is saying is right, that not only did it bring a bigger audience to the sport, the whole Lance scandal, but it also tightened doping control. Sorry, I'm arguing against my own case here. But what I'm... I'm, Yeah, um, yeah, I think it was a huge scandal, but it actually hasn't turned out for the bad that I thought it would at the time. Okay, well, yeah. I, okay. I think I'm gonna call this. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I, f- I do feel for you, Stephen. I think. Um... <laughs> but think, think of those two guys. Like they, they are sitting in, like, in Madrid with their gold medal hanging above the fireplace. It's like, incredible. Well oh, done, them. Well done, them. Yeah. No, it has. Do they? Do they not get to keep theirs? I, I, to be honest, 
I think what happened afterwards is pretty murky. There's like different stories. Some returned their medals. I think some were stripped of it. it, 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 it I know they don't hold the title anymore. The title was vacated. It's no, they're no longer listed mm. as gold medal champions. That's one of those incredible stories that just could never happen nowadays. They would have been found out immediately. We oh, yeah, hope. An internet search, yeah, sort of yeah. Thing. Like it would, it would have it's lasted just... too long. I think it's the last time that ha- that could yeah. have happened. Literally, like yeah. two years later, just you before the internet kind of. Yeah. That, the, the journalist must have been a handy volleyball player, or sorry, basketball player. He must yeah. have been all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think I think most of them like played at a decent level. Like I think they were all recruited because they knew each other and stuff like that. And, like the coach who managed the team had coached um, able body basketball. And I think just just basically brought these guys in that he knew. Like the whole I, I've, I've watched a few great videos about it, which which are well worth watching. There's one by um, Austin McConnell on YouTube, which which kind of goes into detail about it. But there's other stuff around it as well. It's just the most insane story. Um, I love well, that it. Is, that is. <laughs> That, yeah, I mean it's a great story, I must say. Um, so yeah, yeah. so I, Alex Paul, <laughs> which which way are you going on this? Well, I mean, I, I think we know what the answer is, but I I think what I would say is that it, it's interesting how we how are we defining what you know a scandal is because uh, the 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 Paralympian basketball team is far more scandalous. That is a far more awful thing to have happened on a sort of. Um, what they're what they're abusing there, ethical, I suppose. Ethical, yeah. yeah, ethical, absolutely. But the the Lance Armstrong one is uh, the bigger scandal, I suppose. It, it is, you know, one of the and it's the scandal almost. That is the doping scandal that sort of almost started it all in our eyes. Like we when we talk about. when we talk about doping now, it is in reference to that. Um, you know, um, so it's difficult. I think I am going to have to side with Kia because that that story is insane, and you know, it's just awful that it even happened. And I would just like to make a point. Why on earth would you want to win like that? I mean, what is going on? Like, it's not even like there's any financial gain or anything. Like, that is just bizarre. Um, but yeah, so I think I'd have to side with Kia. Yeah, I think I'm sort of in the same boat, really. It's the the question I'd have for Kia is actually that story is is so brilliant. I was I was laughing at that story, and I'm you know maybe I shouldn't have been laughing, but it's is it is it actually a massive scandal in the same way that the cycling one is? I'm not so sure, but. But then again, you know, I think my question for Steve would be the fact that, yes, the sport's been through that dark time with cycling and with Lance Armstrong and the whole, you know, the whole doping cloud that now it still kind of lingers, doesn't it? But the, but the sport's coming through the other side and it's, you know, as as Keir said in his rebuttal, it's it's brought a new audience to the sport. It's brought a new, shined a new light on it. And now people are seeing the good side of cycling. Um, and I think so. I will side with Keir as well, I think. Just for the, just because I'd never heard the story really, and it's just so extraordinary, isn't it? <laughs> I, I would say, yeah, going off, going off the, I was trying to go for the arguments. I think it could have been one. I do think that actually there were, you know, you could definitely, and Stephen mentioned it, especially before Keir went. Um, <laughs> Stephen, uh, Stephen mentioned the fact that, like, you know, Lance Armstrong was was regarded as well, like one of the greatest sportsmen of all time, and and not only that, but an inspirational, an inspiration to so many people. And for that to just not only be ruined, but crushed. And to drag, you know, it's all well and good us saying, you know, uh, cycling has recovered. But we're talking, I mean, it's 15, 20 years, surely. It's been yeah. a long time since the scandal. And, and I think still, people and just, still uh, everyone, they, thinks it, that everyone thinks of cyclists as dopers. Like still yeah. to this day, everyone thinks of cyclists. It, it was the emotional investment in Lance that I think annoyed so many people. It's like, oh, like I had been in his team. I had supported him. It's kind of like with Oscar Pistorius as well. People were like, oh, for years, I really loved this guy. And then suddenly it's like, oh, wow, I really can't love this guy anymore. So, yeah, 
I think I it was that. I think that, on the balance yeah. of arguments, the argument, I think yeah. I'm going to go with Kia, but um, but I certainly think they were both. Well, I mean, Stephen gave the answer that was probably the correct answer actually in this. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. be an actual scandal. I think it was, but. When you hear a story like that, <laughs> quite shocking that, yeah. that Stephen, you've come in with that and not one. Yeah. <laughs> really, real a real shock. Also, nothing, nothing to say against you, Stephen. That's just, yeah. uh, just a story that's just incredible. Right, so yeah, brilliant stuff. So we're on to the final of the uh, the, the scene head to heads. So it's Paul against Alex for the last one. So with the vaccine being rolled out throughout the UK. What miracle cure would you use to improve a sport? I'm going to be a bit more conscientious of time as well because I think we've dragged on a bit. So, Alex, you can begin us. Mine's dead short, Saliba. Uh, golf is boring. Let's spice <laughs> it up a bit. I'm talking, I'm talking crazy golf. I'm talking I'm a celebrity style challenges. I want Tiger Woods in a pit full of snakes. Uh, trying to get it, get a hole in one. That's what I want. Okay. Uh, I, uh, it, to be slightly more sincere about it, um, I'm not saying that golf is boring. I'm saying I personally do not find it very interesting. Don't do that. Keep um, going. I've, I've never played. I've never really played golf. I've played a bit, of, a bit of mini golf and had a great time. But I just feel the whole, you know, standing on some grass and just hitting a ball with a stick does nothing for me. Does nothing for me. Uh, I appreciate that the, the mental side of it, how how they have to be, you know, an incredible focus. Um, but think how much more entertaining it would be if that focus was required whilst covered in bugs. I I mean, I've got something slightly more serious than that, I think. But um, I'm, I'm deadly serious, Paul. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean. If we're if we're thinking about football and the big problems at the moment, we you know a lot of people think of VAR and video refereeing. Now I'm actually a massive fan of VAR. In a way, um, I think using the technology in football refereeing is the way forward because you know we see it all on the TV, we see all the action replays, we know after a few watches of those what the right decision would have been. But what the problem is is that the referees, the guys in the middle don't get that straight away. They can go and look at their video monitor, but really, like, why why do they not have the tools to make the decisions at the right time? And people talk about, you know, having video referees in a back room would slow it down, but I think the referee on the pitch needs to essentially be like a, like a soldier. He needs to be executing the orders from a team sat up in the back room somewhere who are watching all of the action replays, and he, this guy on the pitch, the referee is just controlling the game. He's controlling the players. He's, you know, he's giving the free kicks, but he's not, you know, for the big decisions, he's got someone in his ear telling him what to do. And I think that would that would help solve sport. I mean, there's also lots of other things to do with football that I think are big issues, like the offside rule at the moment, which is a total joke. But I think everyone would agree with that. So, um, but yeah, my argument would be referees on the pitch should be um, almost like robots. Fair. Right. So, um, <laughs> Alex, so what have you got to say about... about... Well, in terms of uh, the correct decisions being given in a game, uh, that is a, a very fair point. But one thing I might contest is, does the controversy surrounding VAR, uh, or the controversy of not having VAR, actually make the game more entertaining? And I suppose the question that we must ask ourselves is, do we want correct decisions, or do we want to be entertained? Which brings me on to golf. Now, you see, the <laughs> thing about golf is it's not entertaining, right? So do we want a sport that is correct and, and you know, uh, an execution of people's talents, or do we want snakes? Uh, Paul? 
Um, right. Well, I, I can see your argument now. I think golf is an entertainment. It should be an entertainment, but it's not at the moment. And I would agree with that. But I think football needs to be correct. And yes, you could say that the wrong decisions add to the game. But really, why are we rewarding the wrong decisions? You know, I, th- I, d- I don't think that's the right way to go about it. Um, my rebuttal to your, your golf point would be, however much I'd like to see it, I think it totally <laughs> just takes away from the true nature of what golf's all about. Um, because, you know, imagine if you've got bugs crawling all over you when you're trying to take a shot or you're, you know, you're six feet deep in a hole in, you know, covered in bog or something. You're trying to lift the golf club. I d- you know, I think it would be exciting, but I just think it <laughs> it's so radical that it, it detracts from what golf's all about. It, it tests the wrong skills of golf. And I would, I'm, not, I'm not saying I believe there are, you know, exciting skills in golf as it stands today, but I, I would watch it, but I think it would kill the game. Okay, it would become I, something new. It would become a new piece. Yeah, interesting. I, I think those are, those are both. Yeah, absolutely. And Fair point, actually. I think that was... That was I, yeah, so very, in, very, in very, uh, very compelling point. Because um, we are running on. I actually might call it. I know that's... that's it's quick, but um, in the interest of time, because we've still got... Well, we know, we know who's won. So, Kit and Stephen, I actually think this is quite hard. I think <laughs> they both may... Like, obviously, I think Alex has done the funny answer here, but I think that Paul's rebuttal of it, I think that's very close. What do you guys think? I, I, I guess one of the main principles of golf is playing your ball from where it lies, and if that means Sergio Garcia is in a bunker fighting off a six-foot snake, you know, <laughs> like he plays it from where it lies. And I, I don't think you have to turn it into like an I'm a celebrity knockoff. I think you could just release 10 snakes onto a golf course and just see where they go. It would just make it more interesting. I like the idea of um, like Mario Party. It's like each, each area you land on, you never know what challenge is going to come up. Yeah, like, and I feel like with, with the, the Ryder Cup in golf, that's when it's at its most entertaining, where the American fans are shouting, get in the hole, as soon as they hit it. And when players actually celebrate instead of just like touching their cap. And um, I, I just feel like golf could do with a bit more excitement, definitely. Um, but I completely... Uh, sympathize with uh, what Paul's saying about how annoying that uh, video assisted refereeing has been recently. I think it could be done well. And we're all really annoyed when our team gets done over by bad refereeing decisions. And we want to see it work. And it really hasn't been working this year. It's been desperate at times. And like the, your elbow, the tip of your elbow is a millimeter offside is so annoying. And the fact that players, again, can't celebrate goals because they're waiting five minutes to see if it was a goal. That's really, really annoying, and I want to see VAR cleaned up. I think Paul made a good point as well, which is that a big issue with VAR is almost, it feels like it's the pride of the referees. That they, they're so reluctant to overturn a decision at times that you see some baffling ones, where sometimes you've got referees who will overturn their decisions and make the right one, and other times they just seem to stick with decisions that appear so incorrect, or would never have been given if it was outright just that moment. So, um... But yeah, I do I do understand Cosgrove's point, um, Alex's point, where that not sorry about about sport, <laughs> but, um, which that um, you know some of the best moments in football would 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 uh, Jeff Hurst's goal have gone in if it was VAR? You know, it's it's things like that. Um, Keir, what do you think? I wasn't immediately swayed by by either straight off the bat, um, 
I, I mean, I've, I've, I've vehemently, borderline violently disagreed with one of the points made, which, which was from Alex. <laughs> but... <laughs> but interestingly in the, in the discussion alex said something really interesting again that you just picked up on michael that, that the whole there's been some insane moments in football in the last two years the, like the, the drama that var brings to football even though it's making potentially the wrong and controversial decisions is genuinely amazing to watch sometimes um there is a at the moment in the brighton man united game that 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 happened because of var and it, it, that was a, that was a correct decision but there's been incorrect decisions there's one that went against us when we played um when first played newcastle where they got the last minute handball against eric dyer with this it's it, like it, the most ludicrous decision i've ever seen it was inf- it was infuriating but like it gives us stuff to talk about for the next two days um but but in saying that um I love golf. Um, I think golf's amazing. Um, I, I mean, my, 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 my coronavirus lockdown um, like, new passion project has been getting into golf for the first time. And I just, I, 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 think, it's, I think it's an amazing sport. And I think I'm someone who actually really enjoys the product of watching golf as well. Um, so I enjoy the entertainment of it. But I like watching it because it's relaxing. I like playing it because it's exciting. So it kind of gives me both worlds. Um, and I, if you put snakes on, on, on my course in Edinburgh, I'm going to be I'm gonna be furious, basically. So that one point I'm going to go, Paul. Yeah, I think, I think we need some sort of rugby-style change to the way video on-field referees work. Um, it, the, the way that you can go to the screen, the way you go to the monitor, and the way that the relationship between VAR and the referees work it's definitely a huge improvement that can be made and I think should be done straight away. Right, Stephen? Yeah, I think seeing an infuriated Keir on a golf course in Edinburgh fighting off snakes <laughs> would be more entertaining than watching a really calm, serene Keir. Right, <laughs> 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 uh, that's good enough justification for me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love I, that I'm Keir fu- has helped Alex here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going okay. for Alex. Uh, oh, I find it. I find it. I'm actually trying to just think about the arguments. I'm. Um, I'm actually really struggling. I think you both argued really well or terribly. I don't know which one to go with. Um, but um, oh my, my! I I do think that the Ryder Cup is is great. Um, and there were moments in it, especially that when 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 Europe came back to beat America, that whole bit was absolutely incredible. But you are right that golf's generally rubbish. I'm just not sure if that's the solution is crazy golf. So I think on the base of that, I'm going to go with Paul. Come on. So, understandable. <laughs> understandable. And, and just to say, for the record, now that we're, we're done debating, Paul, I couldn't agree more about VAR. Um, I, think, I think the fact as well that you've got teams potentially being relegated on these decisions, the financial implications of that, mm. people's jobs and, and livelihoods are at stake, particularly in the lower leagues, if, if it were ever introduced. Um, you know, it, we talk about wanting this kind of as a grassroots thing. It has to be correct. Um, and when you've got teams being relegated on decisions that are completely bogus, um, that can't happen. Yeah, I agree. The integrity I mean, of the sport is at stake. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's an issue that's got me. I'm a, I'm a Brentford fan actually, and we were playing Spurs in the cup on in midweek, and we got a, we scored a goal. It was given offside, and it was like a kneecap that was offside. And I thought, you know, that's the off that's the offside yeah. rule. I think the offside rule needs to be totally Absolutely. Old, but that, that's something different. But yeah. there's you know yeah. we've on last year in the playoff final where we didn't go up. I mean Fulham probably should have had one or two red cards in that game for dangerous tackles, but they didn't they didn't get punished. And, you know, that's a small thing. You know, we didn't go up. We're probably we're fine in the championship this year. But it it felt it felt like if the referees and, you know, if if the refereeing picture was sorted out a bit more, I would feel like 
you know, justice had been done, even if we hadn't gone on to win. Okay, so with all that done, let's go to the scores as it stands now. So we've got um, Stephen is in last place, Ali, with one point. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) We've got Alex narrowly ahead with three. And joint top, it's Paul and Keir with four points. Um, all to play for yeah it's all to play for right so we're now going into the blind round so the way that this is working is I'm going to ask you to give me a name of something and then afterwards I'm going to give you the answer no matter what you have picked you have to defend it okay in the interest of time you're both going to get a minute to speak and that's it okay you're just going to defend your answers you're going to get a minute to speak each we're going to start the two leaders off against each other right so I want um, Keir, you can go first. I want the name of a sports coach. Just give me the name of a sports coach. I mean, he said earlier on, so I'm going to go with him. Sven Goran Eriksson. <laughs> Sven Goran Eriksson. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, yeah, it's Paul. Yeah, Paul. Um, give us a name. Um, I'll go for Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola. Okay. The two greatest city managers, one could argue. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Keir, you're going to start us off. Tell me why Sven Goran Eriksson would be the best on a night out. Three, two, one, go. Let with Ulrika Johnson, like <laughs> Sven Goran Eriksson, for, for for a man who looks kind of kind of like an elongated toad, I think is the best way to describe him. Like, see, see, he must have the greatest chat anyone's ever had in the entire world, um, and. Also, on top of that, he just seems like a nice bloke. Whenever you watch Sven on the television, you think, all his, also, if you watch the interviews with any of his old players, they all talk about how nice Sven Goran Eriksson is as a person. Like, there's not a lot of people who dislike Sven Goran Eriksson. Yes, yes, he might not be the greatest manager in the world, and his record might not have been that good, but you're telling me Sven Goran Eriksson would be an absolute hero to go on a night out with compared to netted cardigan-wearing, boring, moany Pep Guardiola. I mean, it's not, it's not even a competition as far as I'm concerned. Pep would just, like, direct you around the club with his arms, trying to tell you where to go. It'd be a nightmare. I'd hate every second. You've got, you got five seconds left. Don't need them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and there is the Apple timer. Right. Okay. So, one minute. Um, you got the slight advantage here going second. Why would Pep Guardiola be best for a night out? Go! Um, right, so you were saying that Sven, Sven Goran Eriksson's managed to pull a Rika Johnson, right? Now, I think Pep Guardiola could get a whole team, your whole group of lads, on a night out to pull. He's, he's the mastermind. <laughs> he's pulling the strings. He knows, he knows where you need to be anytime. He runs that night out like a true workhorse. He would get you. He would get you round all the different bars on a bar crawl. He would. He would just. He would manage and control the night, like, like it would just run so smoothly. And he'd be constantly pushing drinks down you, constantly all the time. Thirty seconds. He's, he's spending loads of money, so you know you're always covered for your bar tab. Um, <laughs> in contrast, I'm thinking of Sven, and I'm thinking, does Sven have that, that relationship and that man management skill? to really get the best out of me on a night out, to really make sure that I'm enjoying myself. I don't know if he does. I really don't. Um, and also, I think you'd never lose Pep in a club, would you? Just think of all the, the strobe lights bouncing off his head. There's the timer. There's the timer. I, they were brilliant. Very good. <laughs> uh, Alex, we'll go to you first. Who, who, who are you coming with? Two very compelling answers. Uh, and I, I think 
my my only concern with Pep is that when it gets to four or five in the morning at the afters and he's just still talking about football <laughs> and you just can't be bothered anymore. Whereas Fen, do you know what I mean? He's lying on the couch. He's left you to it. He's miles away. You know, he's got the takeaways in. He's off. So yeah, I think I think for me, I think I'd I'd rather go on a night out with Sven. Well, it's Stephen. Yeah, I think you'd have a bit more freedom to do what you want with Sven because Pep would probably have the Netflix crew following you around. Um, I think um, Sven is a great guy. This is topical because earlier this week, I got a message from Sven and this is crazy, but there is a new um, like app you can uh, use to get video messages from celebrities. And what I uh, did was I got in touch with Sven, paid 50 quid, but it was for a couple of mates Christmas present. And he recorded a message specifically for us. It was two minutes long and it was really touching and personal. And he does just seem a great bloke. And um, he even chatted about when Northern Ireland beat them 1-0 in Belfast, which is still one of my favourite nights ever. And uh, talked about it with a smile on his face. And I, I really like the guy more this week than ever before. So I'd say Sven. So I'm with you, Q. So who are you <laughs> buying this present for? Who are you demanding Sven Gornex? And we're excited to welcome him to the podcast today. It's Sven <laughs> Gornexon! <laughs> um, right. I, I, I thought they were both really good arguments. I thought that... Like, I think Sven was the slightly easier one because I think there's more ammunition mm. to, to, send a, to send at Pep. But I thought Paul did a good job of pointing out Pep would organise the night, right? He might not be the life and soul of the party, but he would organise that night. And you know you're going to get to all the clubs. You know, it's like being on a really good bar crawl versus one that's just mm. improvising the whole way down. And at the end of the day, the one that's organised is always better. Um, <laughs> so, well, actually, I don't know about that. But, um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but, but at the same time... I can't believe I've just heard that Stephen got to the best of Um I'm I'm gonna go with sorry, were you both for were you both for Kier then? Yeah. That, yeah. Like, but well more, more for Sven, but yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, well, My manager. Tell you what, this is, this is the worst way to, to do something, but because this is the penultimate round, I'm going to go with Kia because that actually keeps things more interesting for the next one. Uh, <laughs> so, just in the interest of competition. Um, so, that, that means that the, the final place in the final is still up for grabs. So, Alex and Stephen, give me the name of a sport. Okay, synchronised swimming. Synchronized swimming, Alex. Badminton. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Right. Um, since Alex is in the lead out of these two, I'm going to put him first. Tell me why badminton requires more skill than synchronized swimming. Three, two, one, go. Very specific hand eye coordination. Okay. <laughs> now, if you jump in a pool, Okay, yeah, you've got to be muscular, right? But you know where everything is at any given time, all right? It's all organized in advance. It's all rehearsed. But with badminton, you're in the moment. You're on the fly. You've got no idea what your opponent's going to do. It's a very difficult sport. Um, if you're up against someone really good, they're going to be, they're going to be confusing you. They're going to be muddling you. It's going to be tough. So I think 
In terms of athleticism, yeah, synchronized swimming might be the more impressive, it might be the more showy, but at the end of the day, it's not as competitive like when you're with someone and actually doing a, a rehearsed, almost performance of an activity than when you're in the moment, you've got no idea what's happening, um, and you could be, you know, swept aside at any given time by a sudden move that you weren't prepared for. The, that, that is why badminton is much better and much more difficult. You know what? The timing on that alone <laughs> it was just beautiful um, yeah. right so steve why is synchronized swimming more skillful go you, you talk about badminton getting you confused and muddled but one other thing that makes you confused and muddled is lack of oxygen to the brain for not being able to breathe <laughs> so these people are performing incredible feats of athleticism while they can't <laughs> breathe and they're upside down and their legs are doing all the work above the surface, which they can't see. They are looking at tiles at the bottom of a swimming pool. It's absolutely incredible. And you can only see how good they are from above and they can't see that. And when they do Five come seconds. up to get a gasp of fresh air, imagine somebody coming to the finish line of a marathon and turning to the cameras and immediately looking like they've just walked off the cover of Vogue magazine. That is what these athletes do. <laughs> they pop up to the surface and they flash a huge grin at the cameras. I don't know how they do it. They're amazing. They deserve every accolade they get. You've got 10 seconds left. I, synchronized swimming is the greatest sport in history. <laughs> <laughs> it's just gone down for <laughs> That is your time. Um, very professional. <laughs> the apple. <laughs> um, right. Sponsored by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah this podcast gets... As uh, if they sued. need this. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sponsor and then go on Yeah, this is, this is the exposure they've been missing. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be like, it'll, in a few weeks' time, you'll just see Sven advertising iPhones and think, hold on a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is where it started. Um, right, uh, Paul, we'll go to you first. Who are you thinking? I have to say I'm going to side with Steve on this one. I think being able to do all of that upside down, underwater, and so flawlessly, because it's not, you have to remember, it's not just you. You've got, you're doing exactly the same thing as everyone else who's in your synchro team or your duet or whatever they, you know, whatever group they're doing it in. And it's to be able to suspend yourself in the water like that and, you know, manipulate your body like that. I think it's really impressive. Um, I think badminton is is more difficult than people give it credit for. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've got a side with Steve on that one. All right, one to Steve. Kia? For me, because if there's two things in the world that I, I'm terrible at and can't understand. It's, it's dancing and being in water. So, like, it's an insane-looking sport to me. Like, I, I can't think of... I, it would be so hard. It'd be the hardest thing, I think, for me to do personally. Um, but in saying that, it, it's done to music. There is a track they go to. It's rehearsed. Like, although they are underwater and upside down, they obviously put in breaths. It's all, it's all organised. And, yes, the synchronisation is amazing, but they're synchronised to the music, not so much to each other. It's, 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 it's an, an insular, individual thing. With badminton, although on the other hand, I've, 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 I've had badminton in the back garden before in the summer sometimes and hit badminton. Like, I, I understand badminton. Badminton makes sense to me. And, and, and it, it doesn't seem overly challenging until you implement the thing. I'm surprised you didn't say Cosgrove, which is speed. The speed that they play badminton at, at that professional level is insane. If you've ever tried to do it just for like a second for a bit of a joke of like hitting the back to each other with a shuttlecock at that speed, it is unbelievable the speed and hand-eye coordination they move at is incredible and for that reason i'm gonna i'm gonna have to go alex it's, it's 
okay. easy decider for me. This is this is interesting. So I think it's I think it's tough because I think you both make good points. I think genuinely the one that uh, is more skillful I think is sink fly swimming. Like I remember in a pool trying to just sort of keep myself above the water and immediately getting cramped in both my feet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's hard. But um, well, not that badminton's easy. But um, and I think that for beginners you can you can play badminton at quite a low level and you know you can play. Whereas I don't think you can really do synchronized swimming at a low level. You kind of got to be pretty good. But those weren't the arguments made. So, um, so I think Alex made a really good point, which is that it's rehearsed. You know, any sport where something's rehearsed, it's just got a certain... That makes it a bit easier. It, like you are saying, it's a bit like a dance. I mean, I suppose, you know, a lot of sports are rehearsed. You've got a lot of um, gymnastics and stuff that are rehearsed. But... You know, you don't know what your opposition's doing in, in badminton. I thought that was a really good point made from Alex. So I am going to go with Alex on this. Absolutely robbed. <laughs> Although I will say, I will say, I, feel... I love your just ending. It's the greatest yeah. sport ever. <laughs> Are you saying Strictly Come Dancing does not require big match temperament because it's rehearsed? <laughs> I'm saying Bill Bailey can can play uh, can play badminton. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> right. So that leaves us in the with the final two okay i'm gonna go through go through uh sadly in last place and i think uh, unbelievable that he's in last place because he's fantastic <laughs> no, i i, I think it's fairly believable <laughs> <laughs> it is Stephen with two which i am sad to say i thought you were brilliant i genuinely think uh, you got unlucky with your with coming up against kids basketball um narrowly in third it's paul with four points <laughs> Just one ahead with five. It is Alex. Wow. And shooting into the final. It's uh, it's Kier with seven points. Oh, yeah. it's a big lead. It's a big lead. Considering he lost his first round. Well, I, yeah, I took points off Kier in the, in the first round, but uh, well, there we go. Are you feeling confident about going into the last then? No. <laughs> okay, so um, similar to the other rounds, but a bit different. So basically, I'm going to give you a statement. One of you is going to say it's true. One of you is going to say it's false. You've got 20 seconds each. Kier, because you are leading, you get to choose the statement, but you're also going to be going first, okay? 20 seconds. It's quick. The, the statement's quite simple, and it's been touched on today, so you can use some of these arguments. The statement is, technology is ruining sports. Kia, are you going to go true or false? False. Okay, you have 20 seconds Three, two, one, go. Come at proof that technology doesn't fail sports. It's the implementation of that technology by the idiots that are in charge of it. It's the problem. Um, goal line technology has been an unbelievable success. Hawkeye and tennis, an unbelievable success. When it's just a robot doing its job, it's amazing. As soon as you introduce a, a human, that's where it all goes wrong. That's the problem. You know what? He did it to the timer. That was very good. Very good. That was a strong argument. Strong argument. Technology is ruining sports, so you're going with the true. Mm -hmm. uh, no, yeah, true here, yeah. Yeah. 20 seconds, go. 
Technology is ruining sport because while you've got human error and you can never eradicate that, there will always be mistakes in the technology. Um, so that means that technology is going to ruin the drama consistently. Um, it's going to um, remove uh, the, the thing, the spontaneity of a goal, for example, in football. Um, the fact that we have to wait um, for that goal to be decided upon ruins the celebration. Ooh. It's hard. Uh, Paul, <laughs> Tough Steve, question. Where are, we, where are we thinking? Uh, Keir argued his case really well, but I agree more with Alex in that I enjoyed football more before the introduction of lots of new technology than I enjoy it today. And I have kind of fallen out of love with football more and more as more bad VAR decisions have been made. And I guess Keir touched on that. It's like the it's not the technology's fault strictly. Um, it is the way it's being applied, but I still think I enjoyed it more before the technology came in. So if I had to I jump think, on one side, I'd go for Alex. I think it's difficult because I think that um, football is, I think, almost isolated. I think that's what kind of Keir did touch on, that that football has, has brought technology in terribly. But if you look at how it works in tennis, if you look at how it mm. works in rugby, I mean, we'll ignore Formula One because it's all... <laughs> um, technology but um <laughs> yeah be hard to argue that one but um but i think i don't know i'm really i'm really undecided because i i think they've both got good points i think that what alex has you know sort of mentioned about as well which is good is i feel almost more robbed watching when a wrong decision happens with var i feel like when a wrong decision happened and it was just the linesman i was like oh well, that's just the linesman being an idiot when it's tech not when it when they can see var i'm like how have they made that wrong decision? So I'm undecided. Paul, where, where mm. are you? I'm I'm siding with Keir on this one because I think it's the, as he said, it's the implementation of that technology that is that is ruining the game. And you look at how, I, I, I totally agree with you, Michael, on the point that when, if a decision goes against you with VAR and it, or it, VAR is used in the wrong way, it feels, it feels so cruel, doesn't it? Because it, it shouldn't have happened like that. But if you think about how we're going to move forward and improve the sport of football, technology is going to be at the centre, isn't it? It's not. We're not going to regress away from VAR. Um, and I think you know the examples of rugby. Um, I think rugby works absolutely fine with the technology. I think tennis would be a nightmare without the technology. I think you look at cricket as well. Some of the decisions they make there, with the you know leg before wicket, that kind of stuff. Um, I think technology is is critical for the future of sport. You know what? I think that that has actually convinced me to make my final answer. <laughs> I've won it for Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Paul gets the assist, love it. <laughs> yeah, Paul gets the assist, Brentford coming in. Um, I'm going to give it to the winner of the inaugural head-to-head is Keir Shields. Congratulations. 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 The oh, fact that I was in the final with snakes and golf is, is shocking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a wonderful achievement in obstinance there um, from Keir to argue his way through. Congratulations. Um, I really you. enjoyed that today. I thought it was really good. Um, have, before we leave, have any of you got anything you want to plug or, or, or speak about? <laughs> Uh, yes, if anybody does know any casting directors, please send them my spotlight. Please. Uh, um, I'd also um, like I... to plug Alex's spotlight. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, very, it's very, very good. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I, I just like to plug Spengor and Ericsson's memo page, which I think everybody should go and have a look at and get good messages from the lovely geezer from Sweden. So, so any, any takeaways from today is that Spengor and Ericsson is a lovely man. <laughs> right, so thank you very much to my guests for their phenomenal work today. Tune in next week for more arguments, debate, and perhaps even some knowledge Maybe not as mental as the knowledge of what the Spanish Paralympian basketball team did, <laughs> but, but good knowledge nonetheless. I have been your host, Michael Sleber, and thank you for listening in.